When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back. We are back. All the planets are direct. Yes, until April. And life is about to be something else. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I I already tweeted this, but I talk a lot of shit about woo-woo for a girl <laughs> that schedules her breakups around the planets going direct. But I did wait to have a difficult conversation this week until um, Thursday because Venus had just gone direct and then Mercury went direct on Thursday. Yeah. And now for the first time in a long time and for the last time in a long time, all of the planets are direct and not retrograding until April. So take that energy and fucking spice up your life, everybody. Do it. It's so worth it. (laughs) We're both really on one. Personal growth wise, just having fun wise. Physical growth wise, my boobs right now are killing me because they're literally growing. They're engorged. They're, they feel engorged. My your, your tits got the memo that the planets are going direct. <laughs> and so they're like, so are we. Someone lightly elbowed me on the dance floor last night and it was so painful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the planets are direct and so are my nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes. Ow. We are coming off a wave of some hot moments this weekend. Go listen to the Patreon episode to hear more about it. The Patreon episode this week is full of a lot. Yeah. New little crushes, new friends, hot. Sexual escapades, hot makeup moments on the dance floor, unpacking some of our own uh, like salacious drama, if you want to call it that, but not really drama, just emotional processes. Yes. Unfolding. Lots of good stuff. Yeah. yeah. We get into um, our respective heartbreaks that we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to hear any more about that, head on over to patreon.com slash best mistakes pod. Um, but yeah, we're in a good place. Yes. I would say that we're both. Yeah. Yeah. Doing well this week. I would agree with that assessment. Yeah. Feeling, um, Lots of community and love and um, joy. Mm -hmm. And we also are feeling like the desired hot bitches that we are. And I wish the same for you, listener. I hope that the planets um, are doing you some good. We earned it. We did. We did. We did what? Earn it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I was speaking to the listener, but yes, we collectively did earn it. And you earned it too. Thank you. I meant the listener. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> All of a sudden, Mercury just like came to a screeching halt and started retrograding again. I was like, okay, you bitches are feeling too good. I had a dream about the planets last night. I wonder what that was about. What kind of dream? Um, that I well, I saved planet Earth, but um, something... <laughs> you saved planet Earth. Yeah. So something okay, happened where. The sun disappeared and I had to figure out how to get the sun to come back because the planet was in darkness and we were like, okay, we have like one day until we're fucked. So I, for some reason, I wasn't like an astronaut in the dream. I was just me, but I used some kind of like flare gun device 
to shoot at the moon, which then brought the moon off of its orbit and got the sun to come back. Um, <laughs> thus saving the planet. <laughs> um, and then it ended with me and you being in the apartment that I grew up in eating leftover pizza. And I, the dream ended with me being annoyed that um, somebody ate the rest of the calzones. <laughs> and that was the dream. Very like, and it was all back to normal. <laughs> Everything was right where it should be. Yeah. Nika's upset about calzones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how how much scientifically all of that tracks. Yeah, not but at all. Gorgeous plot. Yeah, but there's. I'm like, what was cinematic? What's the message there? What was lodged, <laughs> how, What was lodged in my subconscious that that came out? Because really, none of that dream makes sense, but. Well, I'm hungry. Ooh, I'm hungry for calzones, I guess. But yeah. I don't know what the other stuff is. Yeah. Maybe it just your mind was trying to tell you that it's time for a good calzone. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's worth um, the journey that it may require to get the calzone. Yes. That's all. Yeah. I'm a dream interpreter. So that's what that means to me. Amaze. Um, great. Yeah. I don't remember any of my dreams as of late, but I do keep having just like, I, I know that they keep being bad. Yeah. I keep having like ugh, bad dreams, <laughs> but it's like, also maybe Anya don't watch euphoria right before you go to sleep. Yeah, like, maybe not. it's like when I watch handmaid's tale before. Going to <laughs> yeah. Then I dream like it's I'm just simply not setting my brain up to be in like a great place. Yeah. Despite the name of the show, it's um mostly horrific. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't even really mind having bad dreams because I love the feeling of waking up from a dream and it being like, oh, thank God it wasn't real. Mm, yeah. And I hate the feeling of waking up from a dream and wishing that it was not a dream. Yeah. So Same. I don't even really like having good dreams for that reason because I'm like, well, fuck, why didn't that actually happen? Yeah. Um, And there's like, you know, bad dreams are like, there's something like dramatic about them. Like I live for the drama, you know, it's like your own personal um, thriller movie or whatever. Yeah. So I don't mind that. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes my good dreams are bad dreams because like, like you said, you wake up from them and you're like, oh, like my last wet dream was a real bad dream because I just had a wet dream that I was having like really sweet, sweet girlfriend, boyfriend sex with someone who I didn't know. So it wasn't about anyone I knew. Yeah. But just um, knowing that you don't have the option to have that with uh-huh. somebody. Yeah. I wo- and I thought it was real. And then I woke up. My <laughs> sheets were wet. Um, I was like, I'm a 14-year-old boy. I just came in my sleep. Um, and I was like, but I think this is also like in the midst of me being really heartbroken. Yeah. So I just like woke sounds up. And- like, sounds like a dream that a heartbroken brain would cook up for you. Yeah, ya. I just like woke up and started crying. Literally just like <laughs> yeah. literally put on motion sickness on my speaker and just stared at my ceiling for an hour and a half with tears <laughs> streaming down my face being like time to get back on the apps. Yeah. <laughs> but just kidding. I'm so tired of No, the apps. the apps are. I've decided that my dating app now is just the rave. The dance floor. The dance yeah, floor. Yeah, same. And it's been working out great for us. Yeah, I'm back to the art of eye-fucking, which Anne Bancroft in The Graduate taught me, (laughs) um, which our friend Delilah exclaimed, girl, how old are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, my God. But no, it's true. If you want to learn how to eye-fuck, watch that movie. It's all about prolonged eye contact, a very sultry, prolonged eye contact. And I've known my whole life that I have very gorgeous eyes because everyone tells me you do you have gorgeous eyes thank you so i i have been using them of late (laughs) yeah use what the good lord gave you um and (laughs) the doctor in bangkok (laughs) (laughs) the most iconic collab the lord and that doctor yes um gave us the gorgeous specimen in front of us (laughs) um Uh, yeah, I had a dream like two weeks ago that the person who I just, um, came out of an entanglement with, um, sent me a text that was like apologizing and like saying all the right things about like how things have been weird between us and like how they're going to like fix it. And I woke up with like this pit in my stomach that I was like, oh, that was the fact that that wasn't real means that this has got to end soon. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, the fact that my brain wants that from them so badly mm-hmm. and they're not giving it to me means it's time. Yeah. Something's got to give. Listen, I hear you. I've been thinking a lot lately and I'm like, the fact that there was a moment where with the person that I've, you know, my entanglement ended a while ago, but that I was in an entanglement with. I remember saying this to our friends as like a reason that like it was it's like meant to be was that I was in bed with them one morning and was looking at them and had the same feeling in my stomach that I had felt with Marco, who was the first boy I was ever in love with. Yeah. Looking back, I'm like, you're a psycho <sighs> because that was your red flag, girly. Yeah. Because shit ended with him so badly. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I saw a TikTok by like a therapist not too long ago or actually a while ago before either of our entanglements I saw this that was like um that feel those butterflies you got in your stomach when you first met them was actually your instincts um telling you that I don't feel at ease with this person yeah no I I was saying yeah I, I I've read a quote about that also from a therapist or a psychiatrist or something but that like you know, your soulmate or like the person you're meant you're actually supposed to be with, like you're not gonna feel those butterflies. No, like you're gonna feel like a comfort and like being at home with them, which I did feel at times with yeah. the person that I just exited my entanglement with. Like God, I never did. There was an element of like us feeling very comfortable together and like so I did like that was true, but I also like I like the night that we like first really started our whole thing. I remember feeling like a very intense, like fireworks kind of feeling. And in retrospect, that was like, I I mean, it was excitement because they're like hot and I was like into it, but I think it was also um, very much a signal that like, there's something about us that doesn't totally align. Yeah. And it like makes me nervous trying to figure them out. Yeah. And I, I think that. we in general um, often fall for the people that like make us uncomfortable mm-hmm. because we confuse that with like passion and excitement. And it's like actually your like nervous system is like reacting to this person being hard to like understand yep. for you. Yep. Um, and then, you know, we romanticize the moments that like, we feel like it's falling into place Yeah, and it's like a drug when, as soon as you feel like, as soon as you do feel any kind of like ease or comfort with them, you start like chasing that feeling again next time you feel unease. Yep. Um, trying to internalize that lesson. Um, and for more on that, listen to our Patreon, but shall we get into our segments? Let's do it. Mistakes Oh my god. My mistake this week, I guess, was um I like had a difficult phone call this week that I keep referencing <laughs> um that like resulted in um a like fling that I've had coming to a close. And my mistake was um going into it even like I think with the hope that I went into that phone call with like, okay, there are two options. Either this is going to be over at the Mm -hmm. end of this phone call or like this is going to fix a lot of the things that I've been feeling bad about. And like we're going to have a whole new line of communication open between us and like everything's going to be fine. Um, And I think my mistake was going in with like any any kind of um, goal other than just ending it. Mm Um, because it's like so clear to me now that it's like very much for the best that we just like proceed as like friends and people who like share community with each other and like hopefully get to a point where we are even close friends. Like I really, really do adore this person. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it was the weaker part of me, the part of me that like was holding on to a, a, like reality that was not even ever there that um wanted to like make things work yeah and um i think i set myself up to have like to feel even more of like more heartbreak and feel even more like a like a little bit of a fool (laughs) for um showing up in that conversation with like hope for making it work out so that was my mistake like 
I'm not mad at myself for that mistake because I think I only had that mindset because I was wanting to see the best in this person and like um, wanting uh, to believe like the best was true about what we had. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's an admirable quality that I like had that optimism and hope. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately way better off with that not being (laughs) the outcome. And I'm feeling, feeling great. Um, in the wake of ending that, um, my keepsake, um, we, had the most incredible time at the most incredible party I've ever been to in queer New York City nightlife in my life. Um, T for T love energy with um, Octa Octa and Eris Drew. Yeah, that party was um, like everything that we've been like missing from like since entering New York nightlife and New York queer nightlife specifically, obviously we've been in like a deep romantic honeymoon with like how at home and how like freeing this subculture has been for us. But there have been like elements that have been missing. um, Mostly just like people that are not cis gay men. Yeah. And this party just had that in droves in a way that um i don't know just was like so deeply um beautiful to be a part of and to like bear witness to and to like just like swim in all of the pure beautiful queer joy that was on that dance floor and um yeah my my keepsake is like a combination of just that party period like that was just such an incredible party but in combination with the people and the community that like showed up on that dance floor mm-hmm. with me, the the friends that have been showing me like such support and pure unconditional love while I've been um, refinding my like self worth and um, like re uh, recalibrating with like the parts of myself that um, I love about myself that are completely separate from any kind of romantic or sexual validation. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I like really, really, really cherish the weekend that I just had and the people I spent it with old friends and new. Um, And I really, really cherish the magic that those DJs surrounded us with um, in those moments. Yeah. Um, my hot take. Yeah. I mean, my hot take is just that, um, I've just been coming into my, um, era of really appreciating the, um, Taylor Swift's and Mm -hmm. the Olivia Rodrigo's and the, um, Beyonce's and the Robins and the Fiona Apples who have loudly and proudly um, like made space for and I I don't think they're the only people who did this. They're just the people that are on my mind lately. Um, Like just emboldened those of us who have cared more in a romantic situation and um reminded us that that is actually an empowering place to be. It is, um, it is sad and it is, um, more embarrassing to be the person who cared less to be the person that cares. Um, and to be the one that is heartbroken is actually like a beautiful testament to your capacity for, love and your um, emotional depths and that is not an embarrassing thing it is not a bad thing to care and I felt myself my first instinct um, when things started falling apart in the situation that I was in um, for the last few months I felt myself kind of falling into the bad habit of like wanting to like show that I don't care and show that like it's I'm not bothered and it's like you know 
Um, like if you don't care, then I don't care. Not that I think that this person doesn't care. Let me be clear. Um, I just, um, felt myself wanting to send a message that I don't care. And it's not true. I do care. And I am a little bit heartbroken and I'm totally fine. And I think that everything is like completely for the best in this situation, but like, I'm not going to let myself be the person who um like puts on a facade that yeah. like i don't care hell yeah that's my hot take no god i love fucking caring like i <laughs> love nothing is even like when i was in the midst of this heartbreak and i was like embarrassed that i was so in it i still was like all of that aside nothing feels more freeing than openly sobbing on the dance floor as i like make eye contact with you <laughs> so you know what's up like yeah that feels good mm-hmm. and you may think that i'm crazy but i think you're crazy for not showing your emotions right now yes i am just in touch with my emotions and it's sad when people aren't yeah so i hear that yeah um that's my hot take too no i'm kidding <laughs> i mean um, it could be if you wanted no, it's not. um okay my mistake Simple one, need to be healthier with my body again. I am, I'm not like smoking, smoking, but I made like a little rule for myself at like a rave recently where I was fucked up that I, oh, at my birthday party, I did Molly at my birthday party and I was like, I know that I'm doing Molly for the first time in months and I'm going to want some kind of like jewel or e-cigarette or something. So let's just get it and have it. And that was supposed to be like a one night thing. And now like the last few raves, I've like had like one or two cigarettes, which like, whatever but also i'm just like i can like feel the effect it's having on my body where i'm like oh i feel icky so not doing that anymore but that was part of my experiment to uh see if i i just i have a hard time when i'm like i'm done doing something forever no i get that um, i don't think it's like healthy yeah to do that because it's also you- like you were forced to kind of stop these things because of a health scare yeah. and it's like you kind of need to like you have to like give yourself the opportunity to like make that decision for yourself yeah yeah which i'm doing right now now i'm like oh i actually don't miss it i don't like when i like come back in from smoking a cigarette outside and i smell like one on the dance floor i like don't really like the way it makes me feel i don't miss it so that's been that's my like little mistake um my keepsake i just had it oh well yeah i mean my keepsake is that i you know i've talked a lot on this podcast in the last like year of having like low self-esteem and like not really knowing my self-worth and then when I was in this entanglement with this person like really losing myself in them and feeling like I was only cool and only like really had my like cunt with me if I was like around them which is crazy Mm -hmm. um and because like no one has that power except me Mm -hmm. and this weekend was the first real weekend since all of this has ended where I was like, oh, I'm back to myself. I'm also not even just back to myself, but I've accessed new parts of myself. Like I'm a social butterfly. I can be at the club alone and have my moments even when I'm amongst friends. I am desirable. I am hot. So it's just a good weekend of feeling loved by my friends, feeling really like liked and celebrated by people that I was like meeting on the dance floor, feeling like I remembering that I can hold my own when I'm out. And that's always been one of my favorite things about myself. Mm-hmm. So all those things were good. My hot take is that, um, not to be like healing. It's not linear, but healing, <laughs> but is, not healing linear. is not linear. <laughs> and this also falls into what I just said during my mistake about the idea of finality. Like the only thing that is final really in this life is death. Like when you die, that's, probably it at mm. least the life as you know it if there is anything after that is over yep. final you can't get it back but in terms of like relationships and heartbreak and feelings and sadness and all of it like one part of this hot take is that all of those things have the capacity to pop back up over time it's like a roller coaster and it's okay i think if for a month you feel like you're good and then a month later you realize that you're actually still healing from this or something triggers it like that's all part of the process um i just lost what the other aspect of that was i had a brain fart that's okay so whatever i'll leave it there but i mean that's 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 the main hot take is that like nothing is final and i feel like you know we especially when you're in 
um, communities like we're in where everybody is where like where a lot of like confrontation can happen or anything uncomfortable that is happening. It's like you're going to be facing that whenever you go out and all the time because you're around the same people. It's natural that you're going to have these ups and downs yeah. with healing. And yeah. we're a culture, I think, that is obsessed with being like, well, that's over and it's done with forever. Right. And I sometimes feel that way, too, with like how much we like document ourselves on this podcast and our journeys on this podcast. I'm sometimes like, well, I said this on the podcast. Yeah. and Like now I feel this way. And like, what is it going to mean when I like say something different? Yeah. And it's like, well, that's just that's life, baby. Like you are on a constant journey. Yeah. And like, like, you know, in this case, we happen to be recording and documenting it and like have like a group of people like following along. But that doesn't excuse us from like the reality that all of us, regardless of if we're recording our lives on a podcast or not, are going to feel like ebbs and flows of like each part of, you know, life and healing and all of that yeah it's like final goodbyes were like great for like nicholas sparks novels or not necessarily <laughs> you know and my, i thought this is my hot take because one of our friends was like i love how many um like final goodbyes you keep having with this person and i was like okay bestie so true read me but also like there is never gonna be a final goodbye in many of these situations when again you're like in the same community that is very much like a chosen family like yeah there is no final goodbye <laughs> yeah you know that's it unless i'm like moving to europe <laughs> right and there's also no final goodbye even with people you don't share community with yeah. like even people who have passed away like i have a person in my life who i like was deeply in love with as a teenager and like who you know took my virginity um not in that order I fell in love with them <laughs> afterwards um and uh like they were a big figure in my life yeah. and they have passed away um and I still like go through processes of like tackling the ways that my relationship with that person like still informs how I deal with relationships yeah. now. And so even if like technically I have had a final goodbye with this person, like I'm never going to see that person again. Yeah. Um, it's not a final goodbye with like the ways that I'm still, um, that I still greatly benefit from and also have to heal from my time with them. Yeah. No, I mean, I stopped being friends with someone in someone six years ago and I cry about it at least once a year like yeah it's just life baby yeah totally it's life in the fast lane yeah um is that did you do all three yeah yeah great um fuck up of fuck up of the week fuck up of the week i mean there's a few but yeah. i think the joe rogan thing is um all right I mean, it's just funny because we talk about Joe Rogan yeah. on this podcast sometimes. Yeah, Joe Rogan and I would also say the Kardashian uh, West family. Oh, very yeah. Public, very public, which I hate them both because they're evil billionaires, but I'm team Kim on this one, baby. Sure, I think the way yeah. she's handling it is she's very much a Libra. Love her. <laughs> Level-headed mama bear. Um, if you're not privy to what's going on, they are going through a very fucked up divorce that I think she keeps saying she wanted to be an amicable co-parenting a la um, Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow. Sure. Um, unfortunately, she is divorcing someone who is unhinged beyond belief. Um, and the drama... With a God complex. With a God complex. Yeah. And just a huge misogynist. Yeah. The drama started because their daughter, North... Um, is on TikTok, which it's so funny that he's so angry about her like a monitored internet presence on TikTok because the TikToks are so silly. Yeah. Anyway. It's also like you are obsessed with being a celebrity. Like your yeah. entire fucking thing is that you're like a god amongst well, men. And also and you don't want your child to like also be a celebrity like I you know I personally don't think it's like amazing that North is on TikTok totally I don't disagree like you know I'm not a parent so I'm not gonna say that they shouldn't let her on TikTok I just think in the spotlight that she's in it's gonna cause some problems for her to be putting herself out there this early in her life yeah. which is already in such a famous family and whatever but like it doesn't make sense to me that Kanye doesn't like well, it also as Azealia Banks said 
which when she's right, she's right. When she's wrong, my God, she's wrong. <laughs> but like she said, uh, like two days ago, she ended up deleting it. But she said she was like, where the fuck was like all this anger, Kanye? Like she was like, you're mad right now that you like your wife has like your child on like a monitored app. But like, where was your anger when you allowed her to be dressed up like a 14 year old on the cover of a magazine with like eyeliner and lip gloss and a crop yeah, top on? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it does. It's not congruent with his attitude thus far in parenting her. Yeah. So in my opinion, I definitely someone tweeted that um, it feels like the way that the Kardashian West family is dealing with their divorce. It feels like you're sitting in their living room while they're arguing with each other. It's very that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's cuckoo. He also like accused Kim of like kidnapping their kid and that she's like making him like take drug tests and just like lots of like crazy Listen, stuff. I don't, I don't wish any of this on any of them. Like I obviously for the sake of everyone's like, peace and especially the children Mm -hmm. this is not good and i don't condone it but i also there's like part of me that's like well kim kardashian like this is what happens when you make big life decisions based on like that you want to be like an it couple yeah like i'm sure that they did really fall in love but there's no fucking way that none of it had to do with that he is as famous as he is and she is as famous as she is like i think they both got an ego boost out of being together and they also got huge bank account boosts out of being together like that was the publicity storm that came out of their like affair. Yeah. Well, also it's just like, girl, what were you expecting? Look at the way he's talked about every woman that he, yeah, he left before no you. The, sh- the shit for... he did to Amber Rose yeah. was fucking, or even to go on. I mean, and I know that this is one of the things that Kim has said led to her being like, I need to leave him was when he was running for president and talked about how Kim, like in front of hundreds of people talked about how Kim was thinking about having a boarding North And that's why he is pro-life. And Azalea Banks said that. She was like, she was like, Kanye, like, how dare you get mad that, like, your daughter is, like, online when, like, she's on, like, TikTok and she's already online probably and has to see the way that her, like, disgusting father is talking about her mother and her. Yeah. She was like, you're, like, bullying your daughter to get back at your ex-wife. Yeah, it's toxic beyond belief. And, like, you know, as a person, I do not wish it upon Kim, but as a deeply unethical billionaire yeah. mogul like, i'm like off. fuck off you kind of deserve this yeah let's get into the joe rogan thing <laughs> yeah i mean i don't have a ton to say about the joe rogan thing i just know that like because we joke about joe rogan on this podcast yeah. and how like we would do his podcast if like yeah. he had us on let it be known we wouldn't like especially after what has yeah, come out no this way. week um yeah. Also, before this, I don't think we no, ever we never would. Have. Would. No, no, no. It was but just a like, joke. let it be known that um, fuck Joe Rogan, fuck Joe Rogan <laughs> fully, um, and fuck him well before any of this came uh, yeah. out. But yeah, there was just like you know, there, there was an uncovered comp- compilation of all the times he said the n word on on like Jesus. his podcast and other podcasts. And um, actually, Yadoye had a really funny tweet where he was like, "Y'all are sharing n word compilation uh- videos in February." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like let's maybe cool it with that like let's just agree he's a bad guy we don't need to be sharing this video oh my god um but yeah joe rogan is an incredible um toxic uh like parasite in the culture at large and um i hope he chokes same comedians are really fucking embarrassing this week. Whitney Cummings. Um, oh, I, I kept seeing stuff about the Whitney Cummings thing, but didn't investigate further. What actually happened with that? She. So I guess what is it? Chris Delia. Yeah. So he Delia or whatever. Delia, I guess they're friends. Yeah. She's coming out with a new show. Uh-huh. He's on it. Uh-huh. And after the Joe Rogan thing happened, she came out. There was a so the original tweet that she posted was deleted and I can't find screenshots of it. But apparently she was like defending Joe Rogan, which is crazy beyond belief. She deleted that after a bunch of people were like, fuck you. He's racist. Then she posted another tweet about Joe Rogan being like, maybe don't like blame Joe Rogan for like talking about like the vaccine etc on his podcast like don't get angry with people for seeking advice from him be angry that like we have like a government that like we can't trust so like we're so disillusioned that we can't trust and then posted another tweet i guess then she was like 
tweeting, subtweeting some shit about her friendship with Chris Delia. And then she posted that last tweet that was like, comedians are not here to be your heroes. We're here to be like truth tellers who like guide you through like a haunted house of like whatever. Just like really trying to act like comedians are like really important, (laughs) prolific, like tastemakers. Which I'm like, nah. not anymore. No, but also kind of never. Never. Like, there have been a couple, there have been a few comedians in history yes. that that has been sort of true about. But even they, I'm like, sure, George Carlin yeah. would be like, not comedians. Yeah. And th- like, you know, like, they're, yeah. they're not purporting that it's because of their comedy that they even are those people. And they also probably don't even believe that they are those people. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you think that to be true... You are not one of the people that applies to. Yeah, I want to see if I can find the tweet just so I can read it verbatim because it was honestly so embarrassing. And I was like, oh, my God, Whitney. To think to up. think that Whitney got Amanda Knox on her podcast, but Amanda Knox hasn't done ours yet. <laughs> um, Amanda, come on the pod. Come on the pod. Okay, so... Okay, so the first tweet was, don't look to why so many people trust Joe Rogan. Look to why so few people trust the mainstream media. Then the next tweet was, comedians did not sign up to be your hero. It's our job to be irreverent and dangerous, to question authority and take you through a spooky, mental, haunted house so you can arrive at your own conclusions. Stay focused on the people we pay taxes to to be moral leaders. I mean... She's not wrong that, like, the government is to blame for this even all having spiraled to where it has gotten for sure but, just but that doesn't mean all. that doesn't mean that joe rogan is not being incredibly irresponsible yeah. with the platform that he has and, and it, it also does not mean that comedians are like guiding the world through anything well and also it's like you didn't need to tweet about joe rogan no one is looking to whitney cummings to tell us how she feels about <laughs> joe rogan like that's how i feel i'm like girl you're fucking dumb. You have a huge platform. You're famous. You know that you're going to get shit yeah. for commenting on something so controversial. And as a white woman, do you really need to even be tweeting about Joe Rogan? In the wake of everything that just happened? Like, no. Shut up. Uh, no one's looking to you. I, I don't really think anyone was like, hmm, what does Whitney Cummings think about Joe Rogan this week? <laughs> like, no one fucking cares, girl. If yeah. you want to, if Joe Rogan's your friend and you feel like comedians are being attacked and you want to have his back, send him a fucking text. Yeah. We didn't need to tweet about it. Like, yeah. That's where I'm like, oh, my God, being famous rots your brain because you think that people need actually a, th- everyone needs need a, a referendum like, from. You. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, cuckoo. Keep dyeing your hair fun colors and recording your podcast like us. You yes. Know? <laughs> Just <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I don't need your fucking public statement. Also, your peer people probably want to kill you. Yeah. Just like, I mean, Whitney Cummings, come on the pod. Whitney Cummings, come on the pod. Talk about your mistakes. Um, and Joe Rogan. Don't ever come Don't on the ever pod. come on the pod. Um, and don't you even think about inviting us on yours. Well, let us know. You're going to email us at vestingspod at gmail.com. No, that was a joke. Um, because we are comedians guiding you through the haunted house that is life and you can arrive at your own conclusions. We sometimes make little jokes. Oh my lord. Um, Like no, when I do stand up it's talking about my fat pussy. I'm I'm trying to guide anyone through anything. Yeah. me with that. I'm, yeah, if you feel like you are being guided by my jokes about my life then like sure but I'm not like setting... I, I'm not like on a mission to take you to places you've never been. Literally, yeah, never. If anything, <laughs> I I hate it when I have an when I'm performing to an audience that I feel like I'm like enlightening on any level. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I want an audience that already gets it. I don't need you to be opening your mind right now. I just want to laugh about being non-binary and um, guzzling cum. Okay, okay, okay. Um, let's do some patron shoutouts. Let's do it. Time to shout out some patrons. Um, thank you, Hero. Thank you, Hero. Um, thank you, Sparkle Baby. Thank you, Sparkle Baby. Um, thank you, Marge. Thank you, Marge. Um, thank you, JP Wood. Thank you, JP Wood. And um, finally, thank you, Justice Marks. Thank you, Justice Marks. We love you all. Thanks for your support. And um, if you would like to be shouted out, just subscribe to our Patreon and let us know what name you'd like to be shouted out. Patreon.com slash Best Mistakes Pod. Let's dive into a listener mistake. Let's do it. Listener Mistakes. 
Hi. So I've always thought of this mistake as funny, but have never really found the right audience to share it with. When you guys requested mistakes in last week's pod, I couldn't think of a better place to send it in. Sorry, it's kind of a long story. No worries. A few years ago, I was a law student spending a semester abroad in London. I'm from India. I'd been using dating apps, and I met this guy who I went on a few date with and started hooking up with like a little vacation fling, LOL. One night, I was really drunk and had a friend's dorm room to myself and called him over to hook up. We started to have sex, and it was great and fine, but I think he flipped me over or something, and it made me have a really bad sexual assault trigger for some reason. Like, I literally just started sobbing. He immediately stopped and was obviously really concerned and kept asking me if I was okay, if he'd done something, what happened, and if there was something he could do. I realized that I had just been triggered and obviously didn't want to tell this guy my whole assault history while we were in bed, so I just kept insisting I was fine, almost to a comical degree, and kept insisting that we go back to having sex, even though I was not physically able to stop sobbing. He was just like, dude, you're clearly not fine. So I went to the bathroom to wash my face and stuff. When I switched the light on, I was shocked to see what I looked like. My face was covered in mascara, and I looked like the Fleabag season one poster. (laughs) And I had so much snot on my face and was so drunk. I realized how weirded out he must have felt about the whole situation and probably thought I was having a meltdown and realized what had just happened and felt so embarrassed and immediately needed to fix the situation for him. So I cleaned up and went back to the bedroom and was like, are you okay? And my stupid brain was like, make a joke to diffuse the tension. Just make a joke. Just say something ridiculous to justify what happened. It will be funny. So I got into bed with him and said the first joke my brain could think of. Don't worry about me. I just have PTSD and burst out laughing. Needless to say, he did not think my joke was hilarious. I felt him physically stiffen up and the cringe I experienced in that moment as I bombed is something I will never forget. The next morning after he left, I was fully prepared to never hear from him again. But I did, and he was very nice and respectful about the whole thing, and wrote me a sweet card when I left the UK also. The end. Obviously, my mistake was the urge to make jokes about my trauma and the irrational pressure to entertain a guy I was fucking, even while I was seriously distressed. Thanks for listening, guys. I love the pod so much. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Ugh. I feel you. I have um, had... Somewhat similar situations, not the full sobbing factor, but like trying to kind of like gloss over that I'm like having um, and like unrelated to you, I'm having mm-hmm. like a bad sexual time right now and I don't know how to like not uh, make you internalize that. So I'm going to like yep. pretend it's not happening, which is not. The right call ever no, to no, make. It's not. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't have to disclose your like full trauma with someone, I don't think. Um, but it's always better to like keep somebody in the loop about um, a version of the truth. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I guess you technically did by making that joke. Like, I don't think making that joke was a bad call. Just yeah, maybe no. it didn't need to be in joke form. Um, but sending you so much love. So much. And thank you for listening. And thanks for writing in. Um, and I hope that that never happens again. Same. Deep dive. Deep dive. Okay. So this is a mistake I made a couple of years ago. Stop me if I've told this mistake before. I feel like I've thought about doing this deep dive um, and then kept forgetting to do it. But the fact that I thought about it makes me wonder that I may have I may have done it. But a few years ago, um, I so for a while, for like three or four years, I lived with one of my best friends um, who also has a dog. And so um, a huge part of us living together was like that our dogs were friends and we both kind of took care of both dogs. Mm -hmm. We like shared responsibility for like everyday stuff. Obviously like the vet and like bigger things were like up to the d- the owner of the individual dog, but we like very much co-parented both dogs for like the 3 years, 3 or 4 years that we lived together. Um and part of that was that we would like when one of us would go on a trip, the other one would just watch both dogs and um we both did that often enough that it like evened out in terms of like labor that we were 
um, distributing to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one fall, I like went on a couple of trips back to back. And it just definitely was like adding up to that. My roommate was like watching my dog a whole lot more than I was reciprocating that. Yeah. And I could feel that being the case, but I was also like too broke to like offer to like compensate um, that fact with like money really. And I could just feel a resentment coming from them. And I, it was like a justified resentment. So um, I just like started to panic and was like, okay, well, I'm just not going to like, I'm not going to leave my dog with them for a while. And right as I made that decision, one of my best friends asked me to go on this trip with them to um, their like college, like to a college football game at their old college, which is its own deep dive that I will do one day um, that I even went on this trip. But like it was like this thing that like I didn't really want to do. Like, why am I going to go? Like, what is Anya Volt's going to do at a college football game? Like, yeah. I don't I didn't go to college and I like don't care about sports. Um, But this was like one of my best friends. And it was like really meaningful to them that I come because like their whole family was going and it was like a tradition to go to this game and whatever. Um, So I felt very like um obligated to go on this trip. Mm-hmm. And I so I was kind of this is like where my anxious avoidance screwed me over on, in like two different ways because I like couldn't tell my friend that I didn't want to go on this trip. Yeah. And I also like really didn't want to tell my roommate that I would like I'm going to leave my dog with them again. Like yeah. I just was like dreading letting them know that. Um. So I started like I tried to get other friends to be able to watch my dog. Um. And like I didn't fully finish um like scheduling the like dog sitting rotation of like which friends were going to come on which days and help with my dog by the time the trip started so I just like kind of trusted that like because the first couple of days were covered that like by the time those days are over I will find another person to be able to like finish out the trip and so I just left on the trip without even telling my roommate that I was leaving because oh, I was so nervous about like how they would react um, because of just like feeling like shit about like demanding so much more of them than they did of me in this like arrangement that we had. Um, and so like the day of the trip, the friend that I went on the trip with posted on Instagram about us going on this trip and I got this text being like are you fucking serious like did you really just like leave the dog here and didn't even like tell me that you were like going on another trip oh my god and I was like oh I'm so sorry like I just like I was like I want to first continue (laughs) (laughs) I want to first let you know that um I like as of like today and the next few days the dog is not your problem like there is like friend like there are friends coming by to like take care of her and like I didn't like leave and not tell you and like expect you to take care of her today um however like my bad because also just like there are going to be people coming into our apartment to take care of the dog and I just like couldn't I couldn't bear to like tell you and I basically just explained to my roommate the the entire way I was feeling and like how I felt kind of torn between my like guilt of leaving the dog with them and also my guilt of not going on this trip with this friend and like that I was just like immobilized and paralyzed by like my avoidance on both things and now I'm just like in the car on this trip I don't want to go on and I'm like so sorry um and because my roommate was also one of my best friends they were gracious enough to like immediately forgive me and totally understand because they like also are an avoidant person and like have also done like similar similarly foolish things in the name of avoiding conflict before um and I'm not even a conflict avoider usually but in this particular case it was like it wasn't conflict I was avoiding I was avoiding the disappointment of two different Mm. people you know Mm -hmm. like they were and also for context at the time these were my two best friends Mm -hmm. and I was like kind of torn between like how which one am I going to let down right mm-hmm. now? Um, but I did get it, it did end up working out that I did get other people to be able to come and like watch the dog. And it never was really my roommate's full problem. But of course, because this person lived with my dog, like they were still just like helping take care of my dog in terms even in just terms of like attention my dog was getting and stuff. 
Um, and like, I'm sure my dog was like sleeping in their room with them while I was gone and stuff like that. So like my intentions to like make it not their problem um, and the mild success rate didn't like cancel out the fact that like I was fully in the wrong for how mm. I like went about that whole situation. Yeah. And it still haunts me. However, once I started making a lot of money on OnlyFans um, in 2020, I sent that roommate um, a fat sum of money. Aww. And it was like for all the times that you watched my dog for free and I like Aww. took that for granted. Um, here's your dog sitting rate and I love you and I'm sorry. Oh, so I like to think that I made up for it in the end, but that was me being a very stupid, like 21 year old and not knowing, um, it was a, you know, the lesson was when you try to avoid something that's going to be uncomfortable, it's probably only going to get more uncomfortable. My God. So true. So true. Well, much like you avoiding something uncomfortable, and it becoming even more uncomfortable. This kind of relates to this week's mistake, which is something I've wanted to cover for a while. Our episode last week, I thought this would be another good thing to cover. It's related. It's Black History Month. thought it would be nice to delve into some uh, history from Providence, Rhode Island, which is about the um, riots in two neighborhoods known as Hardscrabble in Snowtown in Providence, Rhode Island in 1824 and 1831. Best mistake. So obviously right now we're in this like huge moment in this country, this huge ridiculous moment where conservatives are campaigning in the government to keep critical race theory, which for anyone who doesn't know what critical race theory is, it's a theoretical framework that states that race is a social construct designed to oppress people of color. And conservatives are campaigning very successfully, unfortunately, in many red states um, and are also trying to campaign in blue states as well um, from having critical race theory being taught in schools. Um, The thing is, is that critical race theory is actually not taught in most public education systems to begin with. Um, And so this is just kind of I mean, this is like a very like a uh, red scare in the 1950s kind of moment where we're making a problem out of nothing. Um, and it's really an attempt to prevent people from learning about the more shameful and horrific parts of American history, um, which highlights how necessary it is to learn about them. Um, so last year um, after the murder of George Floyd and with the, or two years ago rather, and, with the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests gripping the country, a lot of us started learning about um, shame, more shameful riots, such as uh, Tulsa and Rosewood, which were two riots that decimated um, black communities, specifically both communities in the country where black people owned property um, and were never um, given any form of reparations to this day. Um, and what happened in Rhode Island with, um, Hardscrabble and Snowtown is the same thing. So this happened in the early 19th century in Northeast Providence, um, which for anyone who is from Providence or has been to Providence, this is, it's where we now, it's assumed that it's now, um, in an area that roughly covers the state house lawn to the base of Olney Street on the east side of Providence, It's not really known exactly where it was in that area, but somewhere around downtown Providence. Um, And so the first neighborhood was Hardscrabble. And it had a few poor white residents, but was primarily a black community. Um, As I said, exactly where it used to be located is debated by historians. Some say it's where University Heights apartment buildings are now. Others say that the state house has since been built on top of it. And others argue that it's currently covered by railroad tracks. So on October 18th, 1824, a white mob attacked and destroyed black homes in the neighborhood of, which one was it first, of Snowtown. Um, After a black man refused to get off the sidewalk when approached by some white people. Um, The mob claimed that they were targeting places of ill repute, but in reality, they destroyed indiscriminately. They used axes in their bare hands and they set homes on fire. Approximately 20 black homes were decimated and some of the furniture from these homes was even stolen and auctioned off in a neighboring city of Pawtucket at a market. 
Um, there to this day are mixed reports about the repercussions for rioters, but the common conclusion seems to be, um, even with sources that report a rioter was found guilty, that all the rioters got away with mass destruction without consequence. Um, and likewise, local leaders openly voiced their support for the rioters, and racist pamphlets were spent, spread around mocking the victims of the attack. Um, many of the victims of the hardscrabble attacks then took up residency in the nearby neighborhood of Snowtown. Um, and that only lasted for seven years because in 1831, another white mob attacked and destroyed black homes after the shooting death of a sailor. Um, Snowtown and Hardscrabble were both neighborhoods that they had a reputation of ill report because they were home to a lot of sailors. And so because sailors lived in these neighborhoods, it's where brothels and lots of uh, nightclubs of the era mm. popped up. But really, it's like known today that many of the black residents of both of these neighborhoods were homeowners. They owned businesses. They owned taverns. They owned the brothels. So they were the predominant um, moneymakers in these neighborhoods. Um, so eventually, the sailor, um, a sailor was shot um, and the riot broke out, despite that the owners of the homes that were destroyed had no relationship to the shooting. The violence lasted days, and eventually a militia was called in to stop the rioting. And as a result, which I think this is very interesting because it just goes to show how the presence of police is uh, always a result of anything to do with riots happening in black areas, even when black people are not the ones who were rioting, is that Providence officially became a city in response to the destruction of Snowtown because with city status, they could then create a police force instead mm. of having to call in a militia. So the motivation was less to protect the victims of these assaults so much as to maintain order. Um, and there are no records suggesting that black Americans who had their homes and businesses destroyed received any kind of reparations. Um, and uh, where's my next source? Um, let's see. So a few people who have um, studied and researched both of these riots in Providence, I just want to talk a little about. So Joanne Pope Mellish, who has a PhD in American civilization from Brown University and is an associate professor emerita at the University of Kentucky, has argued that a central problem undergirding the riots and other forms of racial conflict today is one of distance. She says that prejudice grew as black and white people moved further away from away from each other. And that rich and poor people had lived in close quarters in colonial times, but at the end of the 18th century, poor people were pushed to the margins, forming sites of racial mixing that began to be seen as disorderly and a problem. And that the participants in the riots were not, contrary to some reports, the poorest whites who lived with black people and formed families with them. It was actually white former artisans in Providence who had recently been forced into factory work by industrialization and resented it. And so she says that they latched onto racism as an engine of respectability. Mm. And black communities began to be associated automatically with dens of vice, prime targets for the urban renewal movement that swept destructively through the United States in the mid-20th century. Um, and goes on to say that in Providence during this time, the next wave of displacement was under the guise of restoration. The repair of historical housing on Benefit Street and the East Side, which pushed out black renters, um, which then led to Section 8 housing staying below demand, which then led to predatory lenders expelling black owners from their homes, which then led to poor communities shrinking and growing more distant. Um, today, Hardscrabble, as I said, has become University Heights, a Marriott hotel where Snowtown used to be near um, stands where Snowtown used to be near Charles and Gatsby streets. And I think the worst part of this is that I, um, like most Rhode Islanders, I didn't even find out about this until I was 17 when I was walking from like the mall to the bus stop and I like stumbled across a very tiny like little it looks like a a very small gravestone almost that mm -hmm. has a plaque on it. Um, and so it's a plaque near Roger Williams National Park that commemorates the riots. Um, but and then there's another plaque apparently that I've never seen that is in almost like the middle of the road. Um in like a median area. So most people have no idea that this was a thing. Um, as I said, the two plaques, one is near Roger Williams National Park, commemorate the riots. Um, and scholar and activist Ray Rickman, um, 
who is also a former state representative in Rhode Island and the former president of the Rhode Island Black Heritage Society, helped put the plaques there. And he wants the hardscrabble one mounted on a pedestal with a light because he says no one knows it's there. Um, and at only six inches above the ground, he says it's like a bad headstone. Mm. Um, so, Woof. yeah, to this day, it's like it's not something that has ever been taught in any school in Rhode Island. So it's very much like a ghost in Rhode Island history. Um, As and- like a lot of the like, I think a lot of cities have a history like this that yeah. has gone completely unacknowledged. And it's, you know, as like we talked about last week, it's much like New York, Providence is often seen as this like bastion of progressivism and mm. we're a blue state and, you know, we had ri- we had race riots in the 70s, but that was everywhere. So, you know, Providence is not at all this kind of place. But even to this day, these neighborhoods that... um these riots happened in specifically where University Heights is. It's in a neighborhood on the east side called Mount Hope. And to this day, it's very much a segregated, mostly black, low income neighborhood. Mm. Um, and it has been that way clearly since its inception in the 1800s. Um, I've always found Providence to be a very socially segregated city. Housing is very uh, racially socially segregated city. Housing is very racially segregated. And it's just something that no one really talks about. Right. Um, and just for sources really quick, um, one of them is an article from Motif magazine called Throwdown History We Don't Talk About by Katerina Delude. Um, and the other article is called How Two Riots Made Providence a City from Providence Monthly by Sophie Hagen. Um, so you can find both of those online. Moral of the story. Moral of the Mori. Yeah, I mean, moral of the story, I think, is like very similar to last week. And I didn't even really touch upon saying this as like explicitly. But like, if we're going to get anywhere with, um, you know, Mm anti-racism in this country um, and in the world. But if we're speaking about this country and our very specific history racially, we need to face head on exactly that our very specific history racially and I feel like we have tried to like gloss over and like make it more comfortable for like white people specifically um to like pretend that it's like this thing that is like yes it was terrible once upon a time but it's all over now and it's like well yeah I mean even if even if it were all over now which it's not Um, the fact that it was terrible at all has all these like long lasting consequences on real people's lives. And like the fact that now two weeks in a row, we've talked about situations where like black homeowners and business owners were like fucked over out of the life that they built for themselves. And therefore the generations after them cannot benefit from the like economic, um, like generational wealth and growth that can come from being homeowners and business owners, like literally stolen, stolen wealth that on its own deserves reparations. Yeah. And like, we haven't even really talked about that yet. Like usually when we're talking about the argument of reparations, we're talking about slavery and like that also obviously deserves reparations. But like, I feel like, um, white people as a whole in this country just get so uncomfortable thinking that like this is our problem because it's not like our generation that did that. And it's like, no, but it's our generation. First of all, our generation is doing a lot of shitty stuff too. Yeah. But it is our generation that is currently benefiting from all of the things that white people did not suffer from in past generations. Yeah. So it is our generation's responsibility to like even that playing field as much as we possibly can Yeah. on just pure material like pure materialism like like we're not even talking about like the generational trauma that comes from that i'm yeah. like let's just begin with the fucking money <laughs> like yep. at least but we can't have that conversation cuz white people are incapable of facing the reality that we are um uh cancer yeah on this planet yeah um And yeah, even like people that come from like super progressive homes like myself, like 
I look back on the way that race was talked about in my home and it's like, yeah, my parents, you know, tried to teach me about like equality and like taught me that like all these horrible things happened. And like, for those reasons, my life is like easier just be, just for, by very virtue of this color, the color of my skin. I And I appreciate how, um, you know, how much my parents worked on trying to do the right thing in that regard. Mm -hmm. But there was still a lot of like, because I was a little kid when we first started talking about these things and they didn't want to like scare me too much. There was a lot of like flowery language about like how that was a long time ago and like how, how much better things are now. And like, because of people like Martin Luther King, like the world's a better place now. And like, it makes us way more um, like complacent. Yeah. I think I agree. Um, like it's important to face the discomfort. Yep. Yeah. That is the moral of the story. That is the moral of the story. Um, but yeah, that fucking blows. Yeah. White people at it again. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> go look into the, untalked about history in your local yeah yes that's everyone's homework yeah because it is there what go and cover those ghosts yeah it is there in every corner of the world or specifically america um but you know also the world yeah um yeah i mean i remember like vermont is like known for being like such a like liberal haven and like it's also known for being pretty fucking white um so that at least is acknowledged when people, you know, criticize Vermont. But like, I remember learning that Vermont has like the highest KKK population, like well, per capita. Yeah, Rhode Island was one of the literally one of the first states to have a KKK chapter in the north. Yeah, northeast, and it's and like fucking situate, which is still one of the areas where people drive around with Confederate flags in the back of their cars. Oh, and that's I'm like, the thing. I'm like, Bay Con- Providence was literally the first, or Rhode Island was the first state to deploy troops. Yeah, for the Civil War, you psychos. Yeah, whenever there's a um, <laughs> Confederate flag like painted onto the side of a barn in Vermont, I'm like. That you can't even argue that you care about that flag for like states' rights because we're in as union as it fucking gets yeah, up here. Like girl, that like that is just pure racism that you just painted on your barn. Yeah. Um, so at least own up to that, but also, uh, choke and die. Yeah. What what mistakes do you want to hear covered? Yeah, right into the pod. Right into the pod. Um, send us your mistakes for us to read uh, at bestmistakespod at gmail dot com. Write us a review. Write us a little review. Send us um your little cute little messages for those of you who have sent us little things about. You know, you have there's been a few emails that have not been mistakes. Um, they've just been like sweet words about how you like the podcast. We really appreciate those as well. We do. Um, and uh, subscribe to the Patreon. Um, and we love you so much. We do love you so much. Test your holes. Test your drugs. And kiss, kiss your, your friends, friends on, on the, the mouth. mouth. Uh, with tongue. As long as you're both into it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>